Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. My name is Roy Morjan, president of Command Partners, a full-service crowdfunding marketing agency and your host of Art of the Kickstart. Each week, I interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. If you're interested in learning what we're all about or kickstarting your own crowdfunding campaign, be sure to visit artofthekickstart.com slash checklist. Here you'll find our entire guide to crushing your campaign and taking your business to new heights. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to the first Art of the Kickstart with your new uh, MC, if you will. Uh, my name is Roy Morjan. I will be taking over Art of the Kickstart um, from the grateful uh, Matt, uh, who has run this project and podcast for the past few years. Uh, I have with me today one of the awesomest projects that's on Kickstarter right now, the Super Fleece Blanket. I have with me one of the co-founders, Miley Robinson, who's going to be talking about the campaign and the awesome product that they have produced so far. Uh, so, Wiley, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Matt has always started these projects or podcasts off with a life quote, a success quote, or a business quote. So, what do you have for us? Uh, I don't know. Learn from your mistakes. <laughs> we made a lot of mistakes on our first round, and, and the biggest success that we found in our second campaign was just a lot of learning that we did on the first one. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, really, uh, you know, we, we saw that you had done a, a first campaign and, you know, we'd love to kind of hear about how that started and what the backstory is there. Sure. Um, so the original product that we launched on Kickstarter was our puffy blanket. It's essentially a blanket made out of sleeping bag material that you'd find in, you know, premium puffy jackets or sleeping bags. This The story started in 2013 when my partner Nick and I were on a ski trip and, uh, kind of just got to talking about bedding and, and blankets for whatever reason. And we sort of determined that we liked the feel of our sleeping bags a lot more than our, our cotton comforters and went home from the trip and just decided to make a prototype that we would use in our, in our own personal lives. It turned out that a lot of our friends really liked the idea and decided that they wanted a similar product. So that's when we got the idea to do the Kickstarter. And, you know, the campaign was really successful. And from there, we kind of decided that there was an opportunity to start a business around this idea of what we're now calling active homeware. And that's that's kind of when the light bulb went off. And that's what set it all off. Awesome. So before you began the company, what, what was your background? Uh, I worked for a branding agency called Landor. Um, and before that, I was doing illustration and graphic design in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, my partner, Nick, is a mechanical engineer by trade, and he was working at a uh, product design mechanical engineering firm. So it was a good balance of you know product sense and then also branding sense from my perspective. So that's kind of... You, you can definitely see both of our skill sets in Rumble pretty, pretty clearly. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's always interesting to hear, you know, with the projects that we've worked with and the owners that we've worked with in the past, you know, there always is that, that good yin and yang between partners where we see you know, growth with companies. And it's excellent to see that you guys have been able to, you know, learn from your mistakes on the first campaign, which was still uber successful, raising hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, and actually create a business around this. So have you dedicated your, yourself to this full time now? Yeah, I've been full time on Rubble for about two years now. 
And uh, is, is your partner, I assume, then? Yeah, yeah. He, uh, you know, I, I kind of wanted an out from my job um, before we did our first campaign. So I quit about three months before we did the Kickstarter, you know, just, just really dedicating myself to building that campaign and thinking about how we were going to launch. And he quit, you know, a week or two after we closed the first campaign once he saw that, you know, it was a big success. Awesome. So once you guys had that first idea of the first campaign and, and got the ball rolling, what are some of the things that, you know, some of the difficulties that you guys saw or, you know, speed bumps in the road? Yeah, we just weren't really set up for the volume that we were able to achieve with the first campaign. You know, we, we didn't know how many units we were going to sell. And so we didn't set up any kind of fulfillment center or anything like that. You know, there was a possibility that we could sell 20 blankets or something, in which case we would just fulfill out of our garage. Uh, but we ended up selling a couple thousand. So we had to, we had to set up a full fulfillment center, you know, learn a lot about international shipping, really kind of like get the, the system dialed so that we could actually uh, you know, get some professional help on fulfilling these items and, and really making it, really making the operation function. One of the things that I've seen you guys embrace excellent, you know, with really good critique is your, your, your community. Can you kind of go into, you know, how you've built that and how you've maintained rapport with them? Yeah, there's definitely two communities that we, that we focus heavily on. One is just the Kickstarter community and the Kickstarter community is, a very discerning customer. You know, they're really engaged. They, they totally feel comfortable reaching out to founders and asking questions and making suggestions about, you know, new products and how we can improve current products and things like that. So that community is really important to us. It's really our first community that we engaged with. And we still try to engage them all the time. I've got a, a separate email list in our, uh, in our newsletter software that's just for Kickstarter backers. And we, we do call on them fairly regularly to just ask their feedback and, and see how they're enjoying the product. Uh, we've also got just another community that we've really built up mostly through Instagram. A big part of Rumple is the photography and imagery that we use. And Instagram is just a really good platform for us to showcase all that. And we've engaged with a lot of photographers and kind of adventurers, I guess you could call them, who take our product to really beautiful places and take great, great photography for us. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, some of the, the photos, if, uh, you know, we'll include the link in the podcast or on the page. In terms of your Instagram following, you know, some of those photos are just absolutely gorgeous with, you know, the product in use. And I think that's a testimony to you guys creating a quality product, delivering it. Uh, you know, there might have been a few hiccups in the road, but people are, you know, ecstatic with the product and the overall quality. Yeah, we've had a pretty low, you know, return rate. There's, there's obviously some tolerance that you have to bake into whenever you build any product. You know, you've got to be able to assume that there's going to be some manufacturing defects from time to time or someone's not going to be satisfied. but Overall, overall return rate is less than 1% for us right now. So it's going well. Yeah, that's excellent. Talk to us about how you guys launched this campaign, because I know you guys did something a little bit different with your social media following. Uh, yeah, so, so this campaign was really important for us because kind of in the back, let me, let me actually back up a little bit. In the background, um, we have been raising money, uh, just a, a typical seed round investment, uh, convertible note. And the theme we were raising money on was this idea we've trademarked called active homeware. And that concept is it's essentially taking everyday homeware and applying kind of technical materials and design rigor to it that you'd see in outdoor gear. And that's kind of what our marching orders for the company are going to be for the next couple of years. And so it was really important for us to validate the idea of active homeware on Kickstarter and sort of prove to our current investors that there is a demand for this and that people actually like this concept. So 
there was a lot of, we were really kind of nervous going into this because, you know, most people think of Rumpel as a really kind of an outdoor company, but we actually see the big opportunity in the really interesting space kind of in this indoor outdoor zone where, you know, you can use materials that, that perform really well outside, but they're also really good and perform great inside as well. So that's kind of the premise behind the super fleece. And it's really an indoor product. But all of the all the materials that we use have been proven and tested outside in, in really harsh environments, and they're super comfortable there. So you know they're going to perform the same way indoors as well. So that's kind of a background on, on where our headspace was at before the campaign. But as far as launching it, we did. I think I think a really important thing we did is this countdown where we shot all of our photography and video and everything, and then slowly kind of leaked out those images through our social channels, but didn't tell anybody that we were actually launching a campaign. So we did this countdown on Instagram, for instance, where it was like, you know, 10 days. And we showed a little, a little snippet of, a, of an image that we shot on our video shoot. And people were kind of just wondering what was happening in 10 days, 9 days, 8 days, etc. And then on day zero of, of the countdown, we officially announced that the Kickstarter was live and, you know, had links everywhere. And that was our biggest day by far. I think we did, we did like 75 or 80 grand on that first day. And that was all just because of all this momentum we had built where people just didn't know it was going to happen, but they were really engaged with the countdown. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, you earned their trust with the first campaign. You, you built a following. You continue to engage them. You, you know, call on them for additional feedback. And they're, they're engaged with you the entire time. And then when you guys are ready to launch, you know, boom, the crowd is behind you. And you guys have, you know, overly successful, you know, overfunding on day one. I think that's awesome. Yeah, and I also think that it's really, you know, we had, we had a, se- a couple separate emails that went out to our original Kickstarter group and kind of our current customers that is just a, it was just a very, uh, humble, grateful note to them saying that we really owed where we are to them. This is all absolutely true. Also, it's not like we were just saying this, but, uh, you know, we just said we're, we, we've got a big thing coming up. It's kind of what we're hinging the, the future of our company on. And we really want you guys to be behind us and, and we really appreciate your help thus far. And, and that kind of got people fired up too. You know, whether or not they love the product, I do think that they appreciate the transparency that we give and, and kind of just the gratitude to the community. Absolutely. If there's anything that campaigners need to have, it's transparency to earn trust simply because of the, the products that are out there. And given the fact that you guys delivered on your first product, you guys have earned it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that there's, there's a level of trust that you know, I wouldn't say we didn't have it before, but it's kind of, it's way more proven now. So, you know, when people back for the super fleece, they know it's going to get delivered on time. They know the quality is going to be there. They know that there's going to be customer service, you know, on the, on the rumble side. And, uh, people just have a lot more confidence buying or pledging rather. Excellent. So in terms of, you know, going back to your first campaign, you know, one of the questions we always wonder and, you know, campaigners wonder is how did you end up getting your first press hits? What did that look like? And when did your outreach begin? Uh, outreach began probably about a week before the campaign, which is way too late to do it. Again, this was, this was my first company, Nick's first company. And we just didn't really understand the importance of PR. But after kind of realizing how important it is and, and how many eyes it can draw to your effort, we, we obviously realized that it was super important. And we kind of just did a bunch of uh, you know, LinkedIn trolling. I mean, I, I looked at the, the news sources and the media outlets that I wanted to cover the project, found out who worked there through LinkedIn, and then just like kind of cold outreach to a lot of them. And I would say for every 
you know, 10 outreaches, one might come back with a, with an email and then 10 emails, one might actually do a press it. So it's a, it's a ton of work, a lot of fruitless work, but if you get, you know, three, four good press hits on a campaign that can, that can bring thousands of eyes to your page. Absolutely. Now, how did you guys go out building your initial media list in terms of who to target? Uh, it was kind of just sites, you know, specifically websites that we both visited. We kind of knew the communities of those websites anyway, and what the readers typically like, and and just reached out that way and said, hey, you know, I think this might be something your readers are interested in. Awesome. So, in terms of what's next for the Rumple brand, or are you guys, you know, where are you guys headed after? this campaign ends and becomes overly successful? Well, I kind of touched on it before, but it's this active homeware space. We see this as a category that's just completely untapped and uh, has huge potential. I think that, you know, you see in, in fashion, people are starting to turn to performance materials for everyday fashion. You know, in, in San Francisco, for instance, you're going to see a lot more yoga pants and wicking tops and stuff like that than you will blue jeans and t-shirts nowadays. And I think people are starting to realize that these that these materials feel really good, they perform really well, and they can look really good too. And you know, where better to utilize those materials than your bed and in your home where you spend a lot of time in contact with them. Excellent. In terms of your things that you've learned from the first campaign to the second campaign, what tips can you offer, you know, first-time entrepreneurs? Well, for Kickstarter specifically, there's a couple things that I would definitely recommend. One is keep your rewards very simple and succinct. We have 10 rewards total, or maybe it's 11 rewards, but we, we have very few rewards. Sometimes I see campaigns where there's like 25 or 30 different rewards that have a, a monetary difference of five or 10 bucks. And that just, that just creates a lot of confusion with people that are thinking about pledging. And I would recommend making it really simple, easy to understand because you know, you can just get into a confusion situation really quickly when you have a lot of options that are very similar. And basically, you just want to make a conversion happen as quickly as possible once somebody gets to your page. So the, the goal of the page, obviously, is to just convert people as quickly and easily as, as, as possible. Um, that would be my biggest, re biggest recommendation for Kickstarter specifically. And then uh, just on the entrepreneurial side, utilize, you know, what we've... We've, we've had a lot of success utilizing our network and, and sort of tapping into a lot of the people that have done it before us. San Francisco, obviously, where we're located is full of entrepreneurs. And we have just kind of like a, a get together coffee or something with someone in our space probably every week and just ask what they're doing, where they've, where they've seen struggles, where they've seen success and just kind of like leveraging that knowledge as much as possible because you never know what you're doing when you get into it on every aspect of the brand. I mean, it could be, it could be your sales, it could be your operations, it could be fulfillment, your product, everything. You know, there's all, there's just learning to be done in every single facet of the business. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, in terms of one on the reward side, it can be overly confusing when there are too many rewards, obviously keeping them succinct in place, understanding, you know, to get that conversion. Make sure that everything's itemized out and there aren't too many rewards to confuse people because many times you only get that first shot to get them to the page. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So Wiley, this has been really exciting. What, what have I missed? Uh, you have to edit that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I think that I think that Kickstarter is a space that's 
really changing a lot. I would think I would say that even between the first campaign we did and this most recent one, it's changed a lot just as far as what people sort of expect when they land on a Kickstarter page. You know, when we did our first one, it was kind of like this Wild West platform where you could I mean, there's a guy who raised 70 grand or something making potato salad shortly after hours. And you could kind of just put anything up there and hope that people would kind of get on board with it. But I think now people really expect like good, full, holistic offerings, you know, so they expect branded content, they expect strong products, they expect customer service, you know, heavy engagement from the brand. So it's definitely a way more developed platform now. You know, you see, you see big, legit companies launching their products on Kickstarter and that's because it's a great platform to do it. And, um, you know, I just think that the, the whole platform has changed quite a bit and it's, it's just become a lot more serious in a good way. It's, it's a natural progression, but uh, it's just a lot different now. That's something we've noticed at least. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, when we first began running campaigns almost five years ago, you know, it was kind of a wild, wild west. You could launch anything similar to, you know, Indiegogo's model. But now you do, do need to have a much more succinct product almost finished and just ready to go. Uh, you know, that brings up an interesting point. Do you think Kickstarter is a place now where more people are shopping than just browsing for the next great product? I definitely think there's some browsing, some discovery. Uh, but yeah, I definitely think people are shopping as well. You know, I, we, see, we see a little bit of a spike in traffic around holidays, just as we do on our website. And I think that's just people going there and, and knowing that, it, that a campaign is running and, and knowing that that's where they're going to get the best deal. Excellent. In terms of you know referrals to the campaign outside of the, the friends and family and social launch that you guys have done, have you seen a significant amount of traffic just simply from the Kickstarter platform or more from some of the press that you've landed? Yeah, Kickstarter has always been a huge traffic source for our website. I would say that the order in which people actually make it through to our website goes press, then Kickstarter, then website. So it's like, we're not we're not getting press to send to the site and into the Kickstarter. It's actually the other way around. Got it. So now this brings us to uh, the favorite launch round in terms of rapid fire questions. So you're sure. ready to go. Yeah, let's do it. Excellent. Uh, if you could meet with any entrepreneur throughout history, who would you want to have a beer with? Yvonne Chouinard, for sure. Patagonia. Why? Uh, I think he's just done a really well. For one, I love the company, but I also think he's just done a really good job in maintaining ethics and really staying true to his mission from the beginning and just building a really good, sustainable, solid, trustworthy company with great products. What would be your first question? How do you maintain integrity when you scale to a billion dollars? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that would be interesting. Next question. Who did you look up to growing up? <laughs> this is kind of a funny one, but Sean Palmer. He's a, he's a, a athlete out of Tahoe that was kind of just this, this badass bad boy, um, snowboarder, mountain biker. And he came into, specifically he came into mountain biking, which was a very serious sport at the time and kind of had this like rebel radical attitude and, and, uh, really changed the sport a lot. Definitely not an entrepreneur, but did things much differently. Very cool. Uh, are there any business books or life books that you'd recommend to our listeners? Uh, yeah, there's two. One is Let My People Go Surfing by Yvonne Chouinard. That's a really easy read. And it just talks about kind of like how to keep your sanity while you're starting a business, how to maintain 
your integrity and, and just do good things and utilize the business to push good, good efforts like that. Uh, and then the other is called Change by Design. It's by Tim Brown. He's one of the partners of IDEO. And it's just a book about design thinking and how to sort of think of things in a nonlinear, nonlinear path. Last question. What would you say your biggest weakness is? Biggest weakness? Probably actually the, the financial side of things. You know, Nick and I are, are very much design driven with, you know, as far as running our business, our brand, our products, all that. But there's a whole back end operations part of it that we had no experience with. And we actually just hired an operations person that's really helping us quite a bit. But yeah, that's, that's something that we had very little experience with. And it's been steep learning curve and something that's absolutely essential. Got it. Well, that ends the rapid fire questions. Lastly, it's basically give us your pitch. Tell us what you're about, where people should go, and why should they check out your product? Uh, okay. Rumple is a company that tries to blur the line between indoor and outdoor. We utilize materials that we find in outdoor and active apparel and apply them to everyday goods like blankets and indoor products. The best place to find our products and brand stories at gorumple.com. And uh, we just launched our Kickstarter and, and um, it's going really well. So we're here to stay. We'll be around for a while. Awesome. That is Wiley Robinson with Rumple. Thank you for tuning in. Wiley, I appreciate you having us on our show. And we will catch up with all of you entrepreneurs soon. Thanks very much, Roy. Talk to you later. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a better business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, be sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes and our Kickstarter guide to crushing it. If you love this episode, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. It helps more inventors and entrepreneurs find the show and helps us get better guests on here to help build your business. If you need a more hands-on crowdfunding strategy, please feel free to request a quote on commandpartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you soon.